my brow, but I sweat my rest. Breathing in the chemicals. <sighs> Breaking in, shaping up, then checking out on the prison bus. This is it, the apocalypse. Whoa, I'm waking up. I'm Gals, welcome to episode 21 of Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour. Again, I had to check the episode number before I started recording because I'm now so paranoid about fucking it up like I did with episode 19 that I kept calling it episode 18 the whole way through. Uh, <laughs> such a moose um, that I'm just now going to check all of them. But um, I think my podcast is now officially legal in all yeah. countries. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's good. Your podcast has come of age. It has. I think it's uh, it's really coming to its own, maybe. I don't know, probably not. Um, anyway, that voice you can hear, that's not my voice, uh, those delightful American dulcet tones are coming from the absolutely splendid Brenda. Thank you. Hello. Welcome to the parlour. Hello, it's nice to be here. <laughs> I like to pretend that I have cake for everybody. Yay. Um, <laughs> so, but considering how far we are away from each other, I would imagine it'd have to be a pretty fucking large cake. <laughs> so you may have to provide your own cake or snack of your choice. <laughs> it's okay. I got a free cookie this morning, so it's all good. Where was that from? And can I get one, please? Um, I believe the Columbus Marathon is this weekend, and apparently part of carbo loading, though... I don't remember having ever done this, is eating a giant cookie. So they sent us a giant cookie to promote the marathon. <laughs> seems very I was going to but... say, that seems, that seems almost the opposite of what you should maybe eat before a marathon. I don't know. Right. I don't know about carbs and things. I always thought you should like eat a banana or something. I, that's like that's like right before, but I, you know, the night before a marathon, you're supposed to eat all sorts of stuff like pasta and stuff to carbo load. But I've never heard like giant cookie <laughs> with itch of frosting as part of the. Oh, maybe you know. it's, maybe it's all the energy you get from the sugar. I guess I'd have crashed though by the following morning. Like I would have to be eating the cookie as I jogged. I guess it's <laughs> probably a bad idea. Could end up in quite a whole world of vomit. Anyway, on that delightful note, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Brenda is from the uh, Geektress podcast. Which what is there big... is left of it. <laughs> when you do it. <laughs> how, how often is is Geektress happening now? Because I haven't. I'll be. I'll be completely honest. When I got my new phone, I am. Um, I did not download all the podcasts that I had before, and I was just like, eh, start fresh. To can't be bothered. <laughs> I'm so yeah. happy. No, I think we've done one so far this year. It's a very productive year for us. <laughs> oh, dear. Is that, like, because of life getting in the way or just general disinterest? Sort of. And we did one every single week, sometimes twice a week for a while, and we thought this will really gain us listeners. And we actually lost listeners. <laughs> oh, no. We figured absence made the heart grow fonder. So we just got out of the habit of doing it. And now it's like 
do we have anything to talk about? No, we won't podcast then. So. See, I um, I did a, a little sort of, uh, I think it was around about episode 10, I did like a little sort of online survey and I was like, hey guys, what would you do to improve the show maybe? And loads of people said, shorten it, but do it more often. And I was like, <laughs> I can't be bothered. And that's when I realised that if I want to podcast like and actually enjoy it, I'll just do it however the fuck I like and not really yeah. care about listener numbers. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I do have <laughs> listeners I've got, though. They're all totally great. Totally great. <laughs> anyway, uh, hey, do you want to talk about some pop culture? Sure. I'm going to let you go first because I'm kind like that. Oh, just anything? Just anything. It's a pretty big umbrella, so you just go for it. Whatever you like. Well, lately, I don't... Did you ever watch Fringe? Oh, okay. I sort of. I <laughs> um, after House finished, me and Rich and my friend Stoyf, who always used to watch House with us, um, decided we were going to try and find a replacement house and started watching Fringe. And we all really liked it, but for some reason didn't watch it after episode five. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I always say that it was no good until about episode five or six. And part of that reason is um, there was a whole storyline with, uh, hang on, I'm looking up his name because I can't remember. Um, He went on to do another show and that show tanked as well. And I just blamed him for just not having very good chemistry. Mark something. He was the like main love interest of the lead character. And then he gets killed off in like, I don't know, the pilot? Really, Mark Valley. Yeah, it's, um, I was going to say it's very early. Isn't it? It's episode one or two that he's right, but he lasts for like half the season because of a whole contrivance with him not really being dead or something. And so, like, until he finally goes away, the show really doesn't get very good. And it's interesting because he—I didn't think he had much chemistry with Anna Torv, and apparently, they got married right away. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, on the sh- like you know they met on the show and they got married right away so it was interesting that they didn't have very much sexual chemistry maybe he's just you know. a really bad actor <laughs> i don't i just i know a lot of people who were crazy about him and watched the show he went to uh and i just couldn't i didn't i don't know what why i was bothered by him but obviously like when you start off with joshua jackson as your as your male lead eventually they're gonna get together like you know they're gonna get together it's like the x-files you know he's the lead guy and 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 so it's it was kind of superfluous from the beginning to have mark valley in there so it really got good after that i still haven't watched the last few episodes because they did a weird flash forward thing for the last season where they go to the future and it was really bizarre and the acting was terrible because <laughs> it was like all new actors because it was the future oh. um so, you know, everyone else was dead. <laughs> but uh, I mean to get around to it. But I I started watching Sleepy Hollow, which is like all, all the exact same producers and writers as Fringe. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a little annoyed by the fact that it is entirely Fringe, but with newer, sometimes younger, more attractive people. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of John Noble, um, I don't know. I'm not going to say his name right. It's Tom... Meissen? Meissen? Down us, he, he was in um, Parade's End. He's English, so he plays Ichabod Crane. And so, you know, John Noble's whole thing was that he was kooky and insane and had been in an insane asylum for, like, 30 years. So, like, coming out into the real world or whatever, it was all very strange and new for him. Obviously, there's a jump in technology since the 70s when he was put into a mental institution and uh, among other things. So he was always, like, the odd duck 
with um, discovering new things about um, the world. And obviously, if you're Ichabod Crane and you're living in the 21st century, you're fascinated by like showers and telephones and <laughs> cars. <laughs> so he's very much the John Noble character, except he's very young and attractive in English. And, um, you know, like you had the black police captain who is now being played by Orlando Jones instead of Lance Reddick. And, um, you know, you have the Anatorv, very in charge, sort of Gillian Anderson Scully character, uh, because Fringe also pretty much rips off the not smart parts of X-Files. Um, except for instead of being one woman, really, she's kind of two sisters. <laughs> and the interesting, the Mark Valley part, in my opinion, is um, John Cho, um, Sulu from the Star Trek reboot. Yeah. Yeah. But just like Mark Valley's character dies in the pilot, but somehow through a contrivance is in following episodes, even though he's dead. <laughs> and I'm not exactly sure when he stops being on the show, but John Cho is really fantastic. So I really wish he wasn't the Mark Valley character because it would have been really amazing to have him around. Mm-hmm. So mostly Sleepy Hollow is what I'm watching like new. That's my only real new show. And it's mostly irritating because it's like fringe and I'd rather just be watching a good episode of fringe, but I, I don't totally dislike it because I do enjoy the, you know, American, well, the handsome people, but the, the American history, like tidbits that get in there, obviously because he's Ichabod Crane. So he's from the American revolution era of, you know, American history. So there's this interesting, you know, he knows George Washington. So anecdotes about the font, founding fathers which are you know obviously probably hopefully entirely made up i don't think they have a time machine it would be interesting to find out if they do have a time machine obviously uh washington wasn't secretly fighting a war against hessians and witches and ghosts so are you sure I did I did watch the first episode of Sleepy Hollow and I've got to say I wasn't giving it a lot of attention because I'd had a bit of an incident with a spider that was keeping me a little bit on edge. <laughs> it but, wasn't one of those crazy new spiders that you have in England now that are deadly and make your skin fall off. No, no, it wasn't one of those. It was just um, massively large and now no. it's lost in my room somewhere and that makes <laughs> me so incredibly nervous. It's in subsequent episodes that it you get more funny it's not the whole episode but you get more funny moments where you know you realize he's in modern times and is 200 years old so (laughs) because that was the one thing that I said to Rich as we were watching the first episode aside from my very first remark which was cool he's quite nice isn't he um (laughs) aside from that one of the biggest things that I noticed was he seemed incredibly accepting of, of everything that was happening to him and bearing in mind he punched his way out of his own grave yeah. <laughs> I mean, let, let's let's you know start there that's pretty terrifying i would like to think that i will never wake up underground and have to punch my way out because that's really really terrifying <laughs> and then he stumbles into a road and almost gets hit by several heavy goods vehicles and cars and the like and then he gets arrested and everybody's talking to him like he's a nutter and he's just wandering around like okay cool <clears throat> I thought that was so odd. I was like, you know, you, you're you not questioning any of this at all. Like, no. Like, <laughs> I would I not be able to go. if you're a ghost hunter and you were killed by a headless guy, then, you know, you might be more inclined to just believe what's put in, in front of you. But he never really gets, like, terrified. I mean, I would have been ter- – usually when they show stuff like that, people are terrified by, like, cars and loud noises and 
just city noises is, is, is kind of overwhelming. And he just, that doesn't really sort of affect him, but like little things you wouldn't expect do. And I, I, I don't know if you plan on watching it, I won't because it's the most entertaining part for me. So I don't want to ruin it for you. But <laughs> like the, yeah, the whole ghost story stuff, like demon hunting, blah, blah, blah. I get a lot of that with Supernatural. And again, it's all just a version of the X-Files that, um, you know, Robert... Robert Orkey and uh, Alex Kurtzman are trying to recreate only much like J.J. Abrams, who I thought was their writing partner because I thought J.J. Abrams did Fringe. I thought Bad Robot did Fringe. It's just, you know, there's the pop culture, you know, the idiot version. (laughs) Like Star Trek is like (laughs) supposed to be the now Star Wars version of Star Trek, um, the reboot, Uh, much like Sleepy Hollow and Fringe are kind of like the supposedly the fun parts of X-Files. You know, without all that conspiracy stuff, because what fun is that? Although Fringe did get very conspiracy-like towards the end, um, well, obviously. I was always getting a bit conspiracy-y from it from the start, because I, I think we might have seen more than six episodes thinking about it. But there's this recurring dude in it who is always sort of there in loads of crime scene oh, the, stuff, and the, there's that whole thing. The Observer, yeah. Is he bald? I vaguely recollect that he was bald. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I, the the ending of the, the, the problem with my last season, last season of the show with, for me was they, uh, those guys are like supposedly just observers. But then the last season you find out they take over the world and are terrible and are evil. And you're like, eh. <laughs> I don't really buy it. And I don't really buy this utopia that supposedly is going on here, which is really just a crazy, I don't want to say dictatorship because they like rule by committee, but you know. Yeah. So, so yeah. But the thing about Fringe is, I loved it because of this. So I really shouldn't criticize it. Criticize it. But uh, it was incredibly predictable. There were no surprises in that show. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, the surprises. You know, I guess you could, you, you could say that it's a surprise that the bald guys are ro- ruling the world, and they were, you know, <laughs> their whole intent was to take over the earth or whatever. But mostly in show. When you're in an episode, you're like, oh, because, of course, it, it's going to be because these two are really in love or whatever. And that's actually what the episode turns out to be. So there wasn't really very many shocking, you know, writing conventions going on with Fringe. It was all pretty predictable. So but I enjoyed that because then I can enjoy the characters more because I already I wasn't worried about plot or anything like I guess sort of like lost wondering what was going to happen. Yeah, I think I, I, we probably will go back to Fringe at some stage. It's just, I don't know, it kind of took a back, but I find it hard to watch, if that makes sense. Like, an episode always feels really long. And yeah. <laughs> like, I couldn't watch, like, you know, t- if, I, if I had a day off work, I couldn't, like, catch up and watch, like, five in a row. I think it would, I think I would die. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I'm like that with a lot of shows that I supposedly enjoy. <laughs> there's, a, there's a show on... Um, Mm, I think FX now. I don't know anymore because I DVR things that look interesting and then I don't remember what channel they're on. Um, it's called The Americans. Right. And it stars Carrie Russell, you know, Felicity. And it's actually really, really good. But I still haven't watched the last half of the season because it's a very serious show about the Cold War and spies. And it's a real drama and that there are like no funny bits. Mm. Which doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's really intense and at times extremely depressing. And so if you watch more than three episodes in a row, you're like, the 80s are awful. (laughs) (laughs) 
and you, you, you like you have anxiety because you're worried about the, the family because it's about a family of spies and you're like well I kind of like them I don't want them to die and everyone you know who's a spy on this show dies so obviously you're not going to kill off your main characters but still it's just a really long time to have to s- suspend that kind of tension and so I really can't watch more than one episode at a time so if you get even one week behind then you're like oh I got two episodes to watch <laughs> <laughs> I'm mentally prepared for this, so that is exactly how me and Rich got with Dexter at the last, like the very last season. But that was more because it just got rubbish. Yeah, I don't know why we stopped watching that. De- we got all the way through the first season. We're like, that was really good. Mm. That was great. And then we started maybe the first episode of the second season, and then just without discussing it, stopped watching it altogether, <laughs> and have never been like, hey, why'd we stop watching Dexter? But um, I guess part of it's because we stopped having Showtime, which is what it airs on yeah yeah i am um, th- dexter's a really weird one for me because it's there are like the season bleh, i'll put my teeth in and try that again jeez mm. the seasons that have been really good have been really good um like season one was amazing i think it was series four that had john lithgow in it and that was amazing and i can't remember if it was six or seven that had colin hanks in it also amazing but then like the series that haven't been very good have really not been very good and this last one was just ugh it's ugh fucking and it was the last season right so yeah and it ended just in the worst way like I I hope you don't mind me incredibly spoiling no, no, no. <laughs> I think you are like eight seasons behind so. no I could read the books if I really wanted to spoil myself but well I, I'd be interested to see actually if the books end in the same way because like me and Rich were convinced they don't. <laughs> I heard they don't I would imagine they don't um, me and Rich were absolutely convinced that the only way this could end would be with Dexter being caught or Dexter being killed because there is if he's if you've lived your entire life believing that you cannot do anything but kill and that if you don't kill you just become like nutty there is no way you can just have a normal life after that and the series ended. Now, I understand that apparently the the channel, the Showtime execs said, no, you're not going to kill him off for not having that. So they wouldn't let him, let them kill him off. But what they actually had him do for some reason was fake his own death so that because during this last series, he came to the conclusion that actually he can live without murdering everybody everywhere everybody well goes. So he fakes his own death so that nobody will like try and find him in terms of you know all the moiders that have been going on that were his fault. But what he doesn't do is ride off into the sunset with the woman he loves. Instead, he's all, oh, everything I touch goes to shit, and oh, you know, you shouldn't be around me. I'm a bad influence, and so he just goes off and becomes like a fucking lumberjack somewhere. Isn't that sort of what what's his name did on Being Human? Remember Aiden Turner on Being Human and. You everybody loved him, and then he starts dating Annie, who was the best character on that show. I was so upset when they got rid of her, and then he turns into this spectacular asshole. <laughs> like I never understood that. Yeah, it's, it's completely different than from. I mean, he was an asshole initially, but kind of lovable. You know, like everybody on that show was sort of miserable, so it, it kind of went without saying. But then he started dating her, and it was really terrible. He treated her really awful, and he was like he didn't deserve love and i'm like i don't understand this character now yeah it made it made absolutely no sense like the whole of the last series of dexter was like building up to him running away with this girl who also used to be a serial killer but doesn't do that anymore so he's going to run away to argentina with her uh, and that's like the whole big thing um and they're going to go and live somewhere happily ever after and and tra-la-la 
why that doesn't happen, I actually genuinely can't understand because he seems to have turned a corner personality-wise where he doesn't need to kill anymore. So then surely, why would he be thinking, oh, but if you hang around with me, like murders will happen and you'll get into trouble and then you'll get caught and then you'll get put back in prison. Now, why would that happen if you're not killing anyone anymore? <laughs> <laughs> and you've run away to Argentina too. <laughs> that, it just made no sense. And um, there was like, oh, this, uh, you know, his sister in it, Deb. Yeah, he's actually married to her in real life. Yeah, it's. I find that intensely creepy. There's like a. That's part of the reason why I stop watching. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you would hate. I can't remember which series it's in, but it's. I think it's around five or six. She actually like falls in love with him. Like actually in love with him. Um, she starts having counselling, and it comes out that actually. She loves him because he's her brother, but also she has actual sexual attractiveness feelings towards him because yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's gross. It's gross. I mean, you know, like, but the thing is, in her head, she's making it logical. Well, we're not related, but because she, she doesn't know that they they actually are. <laughs> uh, gross. Um, but that's not the thing I was going to tell you. They completely like ruined her character in the very last season. Like she became because. The other thing I used to like about early Dexter was that very few people knew who he was, and if they found out, he would straight up kill them in the face because <laughs> can't be jeopardising his, you know, right. by Harbour Butcher career. In this series, pretty much everybody except the police know for some reason. <laughs> like the main villain knows, there's a, a therapist who knows, Deb knows. Um, obviously Dexter's uh, lady friend knows it's like okay how could you go through life and none of the police know when this many people do but so Deb becomes a bit of a wreck because she's got all this you know the weight of all this knowledge on her and stuff she sort of comes to terms with it, it starts not sort of accepting him but she returns to the police force and she's like oh yeah great she gets shot right and I can't help but wonder. There is a storm. There is a big tropical storm. And under, like, Dex uses all the chaos of them evacuating the hospital because she's basically on life support, never coming back from it, totally vegetable. So he uses all the chaos from this storm to go in and unplug her machines. Instead of just leaving her there to then be, you know, buried in a really respectful, you know, proper policeman's funeral, he dumps her out to sea where he used to dump all of his bodies he takes her from the hospital in a hospital gown and buries her with absolutely zero dignity out at sea. And I just, I was just staring at it. Like my mind was just completely boggling because I thought like, I just don't, where is it? What are they trying to say about Dexter in this episode? Because it's like on the one hand, Oh, clearly he's getting better and he's, you know, but then on the other hand, he's just killed his sister and dumped her in the ocean. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, probably Sweet because song. he did, he was responsible for her death and that was his ritual. I mean, he is a sociopath. I think that's a problem that a lot of people have is that because he's the main character, they get, and you see everything through his eyes. You, you don't want to be a sociopath, so you humanize him, but he is just a crazy sociopath who, who has almost no empathy and, mm. and kills at will. <laughs> but, you know, his foster father gave him purpose so that he wasn't just randomly killing people. So, like, He's still killing his sister, so he still has to complete his ritual because that's part of his social his, his pathology. So it was just really odd, though, because the whole series was sort of building up to him, sort of realizing that he's not full on psychopath because psychopaths don't feel love, but he loves his sister and he loves this bird he was going to run off with, and he's like, oh, maybe I'm not like completely insane, and 
maybe I don't need to kill people and, and stuff. So he was just sort of turning a corner and then, you know, dumps his sister's body in the ocean. I just thought, like, Deb, like, I, she's never been my favourite character in anything because I actually think she's kind of annoying. But mm-hmm. I just thought, surely somebody of her, like, you know, who was so such a big deal in his life, she deserved, like, a a proper a proper burial I don't know I don't, maybe that's me just really overthinking things but it just felt really horrible to watch him just sort of slosh her in the ocean and she just you know floated down Leonardo DiCaprio style and I was like <laughs> <laughs> oh I don't know it was not very good mm, see I think that's the point they were trying to make is that he's not a very good person like despite everything Mm. I mean, that makes sense to me that they would do things to remind you. He is a horrible person who kills people. (laughs) Just because they're rapists and, you know, awful people that he's killing, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, there is that. But see, this was the odd thing about the last sort of series and a bit was that they were also building up this idea that um, he would just basically kill anybody. Or, like, at one point they sort of recruit this kid who finds out that he's a that Dexter's a murderer, and so they try and teach this random kid the code, but the kid just starts murdering people straight up, and it's like, in a strange way, <laughs> if you go so many seasons with this concept, it becomes like Smallville, where literally everyone knows that Clark <laughs> is Superman, except for like two people <laughs> who are the main characters with him. So mm. I guess, like in the end, there, I don't know, I didn't watch Smallville all the way through. But, like, it became so there was, like, literally one person. It was, like, Lana or somebody who didn't know he was Superman for, like, six seasons. And it was really, like, any new person that came on the show, he immediately told them, you know, I'm Superman. But (laughs) all of his friends, he didn't tell. So it was really ridiculous. I I imagine that's the same situation. Mm -hmm. Like, to a certain point, you need to discuss that he's a serial killer, but you can't with your main characters. So that's why you bring on new people every season. Yeah, that's true. I just, I just don't think they were very good at it. I just, <laughs> I don't think anybody's really good at it. It's never really that believable. It, it becomes sort of a trope, I guess. Yeah. When you have, I when think, the main character has a secret. I think Dexter could really <clears throat> end in like a, at least a series, if not two ago, because it just feels like they got to the point where they were like, right, well, we'll just drag it out into the series. What can we do this time? Because the, the, the actual sort of main plot of this series was quite good, in the sense that, um, basically this therapist woman turns up and it turns out that she's the therapist that convinced Dexter's dad to give him a code because she basically she wanted to do psychological experiments on him (laughs) slightly unorthodox but we'll let it off so there's this whole idea that she's trying to um and that she might have done this before and then you know one of these things has sort of come back to haunt her and Dexter helps her get out of it kind of thing and it was a really good idea just executed really really badly because it just gets to the point where you just think, how inept are the, the Miami police department that you can't tell that Dexter, like, he's never at work. He's, he's always running, like, fucking tests on random things that don't have anything to do with any, any of the cases that you're trying to solve. It's like, come on, guys. He's well suspicious. And the other thing is he's a he's a he's not a pathologist. He is a forensic analyst, right? What I remember is a blood splatter analyst. Yeah, so yeah, for, he's a forensic analyst. So it's it's not like they've got all the time in the world because I mean the 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 whole problem with law enforcement is that they are underfunded for stuff like that and and things like. CSI, the reason why it was originally set in Las Vegas, because at the time, Las Vegas had the most advanced crime lab in the country. 
so even then it still takes like you you do a dna test on like a murder scene it will take six months to get those results back if you're lucky and with the vegas lab it still was like weeks and weeks and weeks of course on the show they get it back the same day which is unrealistic but i mean in a in a place even like a place like miami which is a pretty populous major city they're not going to have more than like three or four people <laughs> on, a, on a like on, on a in a crime lab be, and they're swamped they've they're backed up with with months and months worth of stuff to do i mean it's not like they analyze one crime scene and they're done for the day and like they can go home i mean they're stuck in labs and stuff well this is the thing like his job seems like it would be mostly lab based (laughs) so how he ends up sort of just wandering out of work to go and fart about on his own things all the fucking time is a little bit beyond me but i can suspend my disbelief with that for the seasons that are good (laughs) it's these things only start to annoy me when the rest of it sort of you know the rest of the writing goes a bit downhill yeah Yeah, and it really did like this last series i just i kind of want to forget that i watched it (laughs) just so i can have memories of good dexter (laughs) bit sad i think that's part of the reason i stopped watching fringe when the last i knew it was the last season um it was kind of like they knew they were going to get canceled so they they planned the last season as like the farewell season and watching it and just starting out and I'm like, what's this now or in the future? When did this happen? What's this? It's awful. And so I'm like, I don't want the last like five, six episodes of the show ever to be terrible. <laughs> so I just stopped watching it and I waited for it to finish. And other people told me, no, no, it gets better. All those horrible actors all die. So it gets better. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, OK, I just have to get to that point where I can watch it again. And plus part of it is like saying goodbye because there are some shows where I literally have the last episode on the DVR and have never watched it because they got cancelled and I don't want to let go (laughs) (laughs) oh well and if you don't watch the last episode, then it never ends. <laughs> it's never ended. But but you you are aware that someday you're going to have to watch that or you will mm-hmm. never have seen all of it. Yes. And you know what? Merlin, too. The last season of Merlin was so putrid that I watched maybe the first five episodes. And I know what happens because people are jackasses. And, and before it aired in the U.S., they, they mentioned what happens at the end of Merlin. And I was like, that's a crappy ending. And the last season was kind of crappy. So I'm just not going to watch the rest of Merlin and just pretend it ended on that one really amazing season. (laughs) That's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Because I don't want to spoil like, I mean, the first couple seasons of Merlin were like, whatever. It was it was the show to replace Doctor Who. It was the dumb kids show. But then there was a point where it got super serious. (laughs) People started dying that were in the main cast and and like shit was going like wrong. And they all like sort of I guess there was a point between I don't know the third and the fourth season where it jumped ahead like five years. So they were no longer kids. They were all really grown ups and and Arthur was really King Arthur. (laughs) It got very (laughs) serious. And it was no they no longer had the dumb episodes with like the trolls and like the fart jokes and stuff. And and you were like, wow, this show's going somewhere. And then immediately the next season was terrible. It was an alien glow baby and stuff. So I was like, I don't, I can't. I, I don't know what you're talking about. That sounds amazing. <laughs> oh my God. It was so bizarre. And since the show has a giant talking dragon, you are like watching this alien glow baby and you're thinking you're wasting all your CGI budget money on this <laughs> ugly talking alien. That's like, that's like a terrible Jar Jar Bink. I don't know. It was awful. I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I know you're wasting money when you could be 
you know, animating a dragon. <laughs> Obviously, the dragon is the focal point of the show for, for special effects. Why are you wasting time with all this other stuff that's not a dragon? <laughs> plus, plus, the last season, they had a baby dragon. So oh. there were two dragons. And I'm like, why aren't we talking about the baby dragon right now? <laughs> <laughs> baby dragon is adorable. We're wasting time with all this other stuff. So Aww. I started watching. Um, I was, like, getting really nervous talking about the last seasons of things um, about how I met your mother. Do you watch that at all? I work for the network that airs that show and I, and the lead character, Ted mm-hmm. is from where I live in Columbus. So he's here all the time. So I've interviewed him several times. And ep- oh my God. What? I only have watched like a few episodes of the show, like when I'm supposed to, because it's my job. So, oh my god! Well, me and Rich are absolutely in love with How I Met Your Mother, and we were terrified because when you hear that it's the last series of something, particularly when something's been so like you know built up and built up, because this is just the story of how someone met someone's mom, and the fact that it's lasted eight seasons already is a little bit ludicrous, right? Because it is just a story about. One little time, guys. Um, and I, but when I found out that the whole series was actually going to be just like in taking place in a 52-hour period, I was like, oh, uh, what? No, but it's actually kind of brilliant, and I'm a bit in love with it. Wait, the whole... What do you mean the the whole the whole series? It's like you know how normally a series is just like random days in like a, the space of about a year. This, yeah. This whole series is the 52 hours leading up to a wedding. Uh, not Ted's wedding, <laughs> but it's leading up to the wedding at which Ted meets the mother. Oh. <laughs> yes, that's all right. It, see, like, I was really worried when I heard about that because I thought, surely you cannot drag this out this long now. But um, they introduced the mother in the very last episode of last series to the audience, not to Ted, obviously. So you kind of had to have it in a fairly short period of time because you can't really have, oh, here's the mother, but Ted doesn't meet her for another six months. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, why would you dangle that carrot? But it is, it's really fun. Like, I just, I'm so in love with this show. It's ridiculous. I um, I entered a competition once to get to go to a uh, filming of uh, that thing and then I got an email back saying, hey, you shouldn't have been allowed to enter this because you live in the UK. Sorry. Yeah. Oh. yeah it's fair. It films in... in- LA. I was really disappointed about that because I really thought it filmed in New York because it takes place in New York and because Neil Patrick Harris obviously works on Broadway quite a bit. And I just thought, well, hey, they they shoot in New York. And also, um, I forget his name, Josh Radner. He was discovered for the show in New York. He moved from Columbus to New York and did a lot of stage work out in New York. So I just just generally assumed it was shot in New York. But I'm an idiot. It's shot in LA. So Oh, I was going to say, I don't know where anything's shot for like absolutely ages. I thought Always Sunny in Philadelphia was shot in Philadelphia, but apparently... Part of it is. Most of it. Part of it actually is. But they, as they started, you know, originally when they shot it, it was all shot uh, in LA because that's where they all lived. They were all out-of-work actors. <laughs> but But when they got picked up, then they got, you know, ordered for a season. They actually do shoot a bunch of stuff in Philadelphia. I mean, because you can't fake the football stuff where they're outside the stadium and, and all those episodes. So so part of it is and part of it isn't. But it's not like one of those shows like, like Fringe New York was a character on the show because it was sh- shot in New York. And then they were like too expensive. So they started shooting in Vancouver to fake 
New York. And it's like, you can't do that. (laughs) You got to start out by faking it. And we still all know the difference. Or you can't like give us a season and a half actually shot in New York, which is its own character, and then try and fake it for the rest of the time. I just don't understand. Like, I was genuinely confused because there is a TV show and it's not one that I watch because it sounded awful. Can't even remember the name of it right now, but a show has just come on in uh, in the UK that is about people from Birmingham, which is where I live, but for some reason it's filmed in Liverpool. You know what always annoyed me and many things annoy me about the BBC version, the recent version of Robin Hood I watched the first half of the pilot and was annoyed by how much eye makeup there was in apparently that <laughs> time period <laughs> and the clothes were all wrong. And I'm just like, Robin Hood is not that hard to get right. And they are just getting it all super wrong. <laughs> so I found out later, not only not Sean Sherwood Forrest, obviously, because Cher- Sherwood Forrest, as I'm to understand it, is actually deforested quite a bit because of, I don't know, tourism, but not shot anywhere in England, shot somewhere in like Hungary or somewhere, Turkey. I don't know, somewhere. Okay. <laughs> They're not Turkey and Hungary are not anywhere close to each, one another, but not shot in the UK at all. I'm like, really? No forest in England was good enough for the show based on the English folk hero? Really? So, yeah, that that's another one where not cho- choosing to set it. I mean, Sleepy Hollow also not filmed anywhere near Sleepy Hollow in New York. It's filmed in North Carolina. It's filmed oh. in the South. So, but they start, they never like shot, they didn't shoot the pilot in Sleepy Hollow and then move to North Carolina. So I wasn't, (laughs) so like if you start out, I guess, with the exception of Robin Hood, which was all shot in, in some other country. um, If you start out like somewhere else and then you start shooting somewhere else because you, you know, it's cheaper. It's like, you've, you've given us that. (laughs) It's like a full sense of security. Look at what it would be like if it actually took place in a place where it takes place. So. Oh dear. Um, that last sentence that you said, by the way, just really put me in the mind of the Krang from the New Turtles cartoon. <laughs> Don't know if you watch it, but they have a very weird speech pattern and I kind of love it. Um, I'm just realising how much we've been talking about telly. So I'm going to steer it away a little bit. Have you seen any good films lately? I, you know what? I was going to ask you if you'd seen The World's End. I assume you'd seen it because... No! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. Do you know what? You know what? I really didn't like it that much. I mean, I liked it, but I was, I think, because I was looking forward to it so much mm. that I was a little bit disappointed by it. I got that way with Hot Fuzz. Um, <laughs> See, I think in, in progressive order, it goes Spaced was really excellent. Shaun of the Dead was really excellent. Hot Fuzz, very enjoyable. World's End. Yeah, it was a movie. <laughs> it had some funny things in it. And it's like, that was a really terrible way to end whatever trilogy you said. They, uh, the Cornetto trilogy is yeah. what they're calling it. Yeah. I was, um, I, yeah, so it, me and Rich were so mad about this. There was a period where we couldn't go to the cinema because we were like super busy doing other things. And it was only about a two-week period, and somehow we missed World's End, This Is the End, and uh, the Alan Partridge film alpha papa missed all three of those because they all went off at our local cinema within two weeks we did just rent this is the end and i know a lot of people have a problem with the ending of it oh what you... i've seen it now and i love oh, okay it. <laughs> yeah see the when you start with a concept that, like all actual actors are playing parodies of themselves trapped in a house during the apocalypse there's really no way to end that <laughs> <laughs> that's a sketch comedy concept that you know you didn't really think through as far as it being a believable like hour and a half at the theater. So I I thought it ended funny as 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 
well as that concept could end. Mm-hmm. And I and my husband really, really loves Jay Baruchel. Aww. He's seen She's Out of My League so many times it makes me nervous. <laughs> like, <laughs> can't like Alice Eve that much. And so he um he loved it because, you know, Jay Baruchel, surprisingly, is the main character. But then again, when you have like James Franco lampooning himself, he can't be the lead character because he's the idiot that they're making fun of through the whole movie. So... Um, I liked it. I thought it was really good. I mean, it, it was quite funny though because I remember. So I was watching it and I was thinking, right, these all these people are all playing themselves. And then I sort of got halfway through the film and thought, haven't some of these got wives and kids? And <laughs> not long afterwards, I was listening to an interview with um, Seth Rogen, and he he basically said, yeah, we thought we would play ourselves, but not really because who wants to be you know in the middle of an apocalypse and then suddenly realise, oh shit, my wife and kids are dead. It's like, yeah. You know, you can't really have that scene in the film where we all just suddenly go, oh, my family. <laughs> and that made perfect sense. I thought it was a really, really funny film for what it was. And I thought the ending was, I won't spoil it for anyone because it's pretty funny. But I thought the ending was, like you say, it's not going to end in a, how do you end a film where it's the apocalypse? Like, it's the apocalypse. What else can you, after you've seen after you've seen demons running around and killing people, there's not a fat lot else. You, you can't really go anywhere. So it's kind of got to end the way that it ended, I think. I don't know. But, um, yeah, going back to The World's End, I was really sad about missing that. And um, did, I t- did you catch my sob story on the internet about my um, Edgar Wright marathon death? <laughs> I don't. What, what happened? It's really sad. There's this cinema in London called the Prince Charles Theatre Cinema, and me and Rich were looking into it because they do, like, um, overnighters and marathons and, like, Christmas specials and all this stuff. And we we saw uh, for £30 a ticket, they were showing everything that Edgar Wright has ever directed. So it was, like, his music videos. Um, yeah, that's awful. That's a lot of stuff. That's what, yeah. There's, like, whole TV series. Yeah. <laughs> there was uh, both series of Spaced, um, some music videos, a short film, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, um, Scott Pilgrim. And uh, we bought tickets. They were £30 each. We bought tickets. We spent £55 getting trains all the way down to London. I had a can of Diet Coke and immediately got a terrible case of the shits and had to spend another 28 Oh, no, no. I do recall you saying you got sick. Yeah. Now I remember the story. I had to pay like 28 quid again just to get the train back home. Missed the entire thing while my friend is furiously tweeting about how Nick Frost turned up and gave out Jaffa cakes and how they all got a Cornetto at the end. And I was like, ah, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> so mad um but i was really worried that they were going to show the world's end at that but not have it advertised like oh special thing yeah right, right. But, but they didn't and i was so fucking happy. like i don't think i've been happier in my life except for when i got married of course i love you richard um <laughs> was finding out that that didn't happen because i thought if i've cut if i've spent like basically 150 quid to go to london eat a burrito drink a diet coke and come home <laughs> I'm going to be so mad if I've missed out on something even more awesome than what was already See, there. No, no offence, but I wouldn't trust Mexican food in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> what are the chances oh. you guys are going to get that right? It's just we get it right because of proximity and that's it. There's no other <laughs> Do you know what, though? The burrito was really nice, um, it, but it was definitely the Coke because um, I've completely cut. I was having issues before we went to London anyway, and I was seeing a dietitian about it, but then I cut Diet Coke out of my life entirely and then had a, a little like half a glass of it on a whim a few weeks ago just to test the theory and was really fucking sick <laughs> yeah i stopped drinking um 
diet sodas because the artificial sweetener was not good for me. It was just like once I stopped drinking and eating artificial sweeteners at all, like and I'm not saying I didn't just stop sugar. I just if I eat sugar, I eat the real thing. Mm -hmm. If I eat butter, I eat the real thing because like all the artificial stuff, flavoring and stuff like I've had migraines since puberty and no one could really explain why I had migraines. And once I cut all of that stuff out, I didn't have a headache for a year until I started like, well, no, I can drink diet sodas again and then immediately (laughs) started having headaches and whatnot again. So I really blame like all the stuff they put in Mm. diet food to make it diet, which can't be natural. So really kids just eat the real stuff. (laughs) <laughs> just eat it in moderation. <laughs> yeah, just eat it in moderation and jiggle around a little bit more. <laughs> this wasn't where I thought this conversation was going to No, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, so I was going to say I couldn't do any of those marathons. Like, I know there are people who are just waiting for the last Hobbit movie to come out so that they can just do a 27-hour extended edition Hobbit My husband. End-to-end thing. And I'm like, that sounds – in theory, it sounds really f- – like fun like you could like have a party and do costumes and stuff but really do you want to commit to that <laughs> we, we did um in february last year for some reason we did a harry potter marathon oh at home the first and two movies are god awful they're so they're bad they're so, well i was quite lucky because i had the flu so rich let me stay in bed so i missed the majority of the first films <laughs> i sort of came back downstairs like when um when he was in that chamber with the whole mirror and the stone and all that bollocks so i missed like the majority of that film but yeah it took us something like 19 and a half hours it was from like seven in the morning till about three o'clock the following morning something ludicrous it was bonkers and um it was uh it was tough because by the time you get to the end you just so like you run particularly the last the, the last two harry potter films being one film split in half for no real reason but those I films swear, could have been edited into one movie. I you know? swear Goblet of Fire was a bigger book than, than Deathly Hallows. It was. And, it and they just was. chopped the hell out of Goblet of Fire, so it almost made no sense if you hadn't read the book. I just... I And the thing is, as well, I don't even really like Harry Potter. I don't know why I decided I was going to join in on this little marathon. Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do think... Like, marathons can be really fun as long as you are in exactly the right place. Because, like... We did um we did an Arnie marathon the other week and we uh there was me Rich and my mate Key and we all picked our favourite film and then watched Predator at the end <laughs> um so it's like four films all Arnie all ridiculous we've got some takeaway pizza you know we're having a little bit of tipple it was happy times and uh, that I can deal with but I think I'm quite glad I didn't go to the Edgar Wright one because it didn't start until seven in the evening and it finished. It finished at noon the following day i think yeah and i thought i will be asleep there is no doubt in my mind that at some stage i will fall asleep and like i wouldn't have minded because i'm not a big fan of space if i'd have slept through bits of space (laughs) that sounds terrible but who wants to pay 30 quid to go to the cinema and have a very uncomfortable nap (laughs) right but yeah uh i i do still want to see world's end but i've got to say i wasn't like you know when i saw the trailers there were a couple of things i was like okay but i wasn't like overly ramped for it I don't know. I think it's because it might be because I'm, I expected so much of Hot Fuzz and it was enjoyable, but nowhere near as good as Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've progressively... I mean, and the um, to finish the trilogy, they decided... You know how Nick Frost is always kind of like the man-child character, the irresponsible, lovable one? They've reversed that and they tried to make Simon Pegg like, you know, the idiot who you just can't help but love even though he's a fuck-up. And 
Nick Frost is the responsible adult one who's annoyed with Simon Pegg's character all the time. Um, I guess they thought that'll be an interesting twist. So it's not the same thing all the time for these movies. And it's not. Nick Frost is <laughs> an endearing person and you, you love him no matter what. And Simon Pegg, even with his hair dyed black, that I think particularly did it for me that they were like, well, you're not even going to let him have his hair, which is kind of a trademark. It's dyed black and he's an asshole for the whole movie. You just hate him through the whole movie. And it's like, I, at no point am, am I going to turn around and be like, no, you were lovable the whole time because you were roguish and <laughs> and carefree. No, it's just irritating. I didn't want to see him in that character. And that was part of it for me that he was just a dickhead. And you were like, yeah, but when Nick Cross is a dickhead, you still want to hang out with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And Simon Pegg, not so much, so... Oh, I'm a bit sad now. Well, I was a bit concerned about that anyway, because I'm not sure how much I can buy the sort of responsible adult thing from Nick Frost, because I've seen him in so many sort of stupid sidekick kind of roles. Like, I don't know if that's just me typecasting him in my own head. <laughs> and he plays kind of a mean person in, um, he comes around in the end, but kind of a horrible, like, homophobe in one of my favorite movies ever, Kinky Boots. But still, you kind of love him at the end. <laughs> comes around, so never seen that. Kinky Boots. Mm. I love Kinky Boots. And then um, Cindy Lauper uh, took the movie and added songs and turned it into a musical. And Hi- Harvey Firestein um, did the book, but for the first half of the musical, you know, before intermission, it is literally just the movie script. And I know this because I've seen the movie hundreds of times. So when we went and saw it, I was really excited because I thought it was going to be a new take on Kinky Boots. And when they did um, Full Monty as a musical in the States, they translated it so that, you know, the actors wouldn't all have horrible Cockney accents that were fake. <laughs> and they didn't do that for Kinky Boots. And Kinky Boots is really specific. It takes place in Northampton. So like Northern England. So it's a very specific accent. And I'm like, so they had a, a dialectician credited in the cast, um, you know, because she had to help the, coach them to to have a, a believable enough accent. And I was, in the end, I was like, really, why did we have to do that? <laughs> they make shoes in the States. It's not just England where they make shoes. I mean, we could have done a shoe factory in in Northern anywhere. <laughs> the songs were all very Cindy Lauper-esque, too. Yeah. So uh, enjoyable, but... After a while, you're like, this is just the movie. I could just be watching the movie. There are songs in that, too. (laughs) (laughs) I've never quite understood the concept, you know, of, like, other people doing other accents. Like, in certain things, I get it. Like, if you're going to cast, like, I don't know, uh, an American in a straight-up Shakespeare-type production kind of thing, you kind of expect them to be able to pull off, like, a proper proper English accent. You know, not like mine, like, proper. Oh, hey, did they do English accents in that Nathan Fillion... Was it Joss Whedon who did um, Much Ado About Nothing? Was that it? I have no idea. No idea. Don't know what you're on about. (laughs) Nathan Fillion did a Shakespeare remake recently, and everybody was raving about it. Now I wonder if they would... Oh, God. I haven't even got a clue. Where? Much Ado About Nothing, right. It was last year. Who directed it? Joss Whedon. (laughs) So he went from from Avengers to to actual Shakespeare. That's interesting. But I never got to see it, and everybody just raved about how great it was. I didn't even know that existed. (laughs) If I did, I would have watched it. I might have to... That's going on my list of things to see if I can find... I'm going to write that down and later think, why am I writing down Shakespeare books like I haven't read it before? 
<laughs> maybe maybe it's on Netflix. I don't know. I haven't really looked to that closely. We just, like I said, we just watched The World's End this weekend. And at the same time, we also rented um, the Star Trek sequel. Because my husband really likes the Star Trek reboot, I don't so much like it. I, I really liked the uh, the sequel. I think... Not so much. The thing, <laughs> the, thing, the thing for me is I have literally no ties to the source material, so this is like a shiny new thing for me. So anything that bothered... Because I know like a lot of the... Um, Khan stuff and things with Spock. A lot of people were not digging that sort of reinterpretation or straight up ripping off <laughs> of things. Um, but because I've got like literally no, I think I've seen maybe two episodes of Star Trek and probably not in their entirety. So I've got like no, I've just to me this is just like oh, it's an action film in space, yeah, and that's and Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> it would be. That's the. I mean, it's very pretty, and I love Carl Urban. And the thing is, he's a Trekkie, so he does a very. The casting is not so bad because I really love John Cho, obviously too, and um, Simon Pegg is is okay, and um, what's his name, the little Russian guy, oh, as yeah. the oh. Russian guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's actually a Russian. Parents, figure skaters, Olympic figure skaters from Russia. <laughs> um, so in a way, it's not as offensive that he's doing the terrible cartoony Russian accent when he probably actually speaks Russian very fluently. But, you know, just it like you said, it is like an, another action movie. And that would be OK if J.J. Abrams wasn't going around telling everyone, I don't understand Star Trek. It was too smart for me. I need to make it more palatable for basically he, he went around admitting I had to dumb it down. Like, I don't understand I Star Trek and I don't get Star Trek. And it's like, Star Trek's a very specific thing to not get because the original concept was really just diversity and, you know, not being a homophobic, racist, bigoted, sexist dickhead. That's the whole thrust of the original <laughs> series is this utopia that's not supposed to be utopia. It's supposed to be what we strive to achieve, which is equality and bettering yourself and, you know, getting to space and exploring new worlds and leaving behind all the crap that makes humanity awful. And he, to, for him to be like, that's too philosophical. In more than one interview, saying I didn't like the original Star Trek because I don't get it. Don't say that. Like, don't go out. <laughs> that's not something you should be admitting. Oh. Like, why are you campaigning for the movie in the first place? No one wants to look at your goofy ass. Everyone wants to look at Zachary Quinto. And some girls like, what's his name? Uh, uh, well, Chris, Chris, Chris. Chris Rapine. I that's my main problem is that I want to punch that guy in the face. I just he, can't stand him. He has the world's most arrogant looking face. And it doesn't matter what he's saying or what emotion he's trying to portray at the time. He just looks cocky constantly. <laughs> he was in a movie called Bottle Shock with um, Bill Pullman and Alan Rickman, who are two of my favorite people. And um, it was set in the 70s and it was about the, the sort of wine revolution in Northern California because, you know, pre-70s... Nobody really wanted to drink wine that wasn't from Europe or from France. And so they there was this whole, like, they had to prove themselves in Northern California, these little tiny vineyards, that they could produce really high-quality um, wines and enter them into competitions, of which one of, you know, one of the ones that takes place in the movie, Alan Rickman is the chair of, and it, it causes him, like, he drinks this wine from Bill Pullman's uh, vineyard, and it makes him, you know, go to California to seek out this guy that made this incredible wine. And you, you think, well, it's supposed to be, like... Uh, What's the one with Paul Giamatti? Another another one of those kind of like thoughtful art house movies that's about wine. But here comes Chris Pine as the son of Bill Pullman in a terrible wig that they gave him so he could look like a 70s surfer dude. 
in California. And he was just awful and irritating and obnoxious through the whole movie. And I was like, you have ruined this movie, this beautiful movie with Alan Rickman. <laughs> you ruined it. Oh. I was so angry. And I've been angry at him since that tiny little indie <laughs> film. Oh, it's just awful. And people were like, no, he was great in that movie. And I'm like, no, he was he wasn't supposed to be a terrible person in the movie and I thought he was awful <laughs> I was going to say if he was supposed to be incredibly annoying and obnoxious then well done Chris Pine but really he was supposed to be like a, a dumb teenager or something and you know he just looked too old for it and I don't really want Paul, Bill Pullman to be the father of anybody my age and <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Rich was making me laugh the other day because we uh, we watched it. Oh, well, this was a while ago. We watched Sharknado, and he said <laughs> he said he said I cannot believe how he said the thing that I'm focused on whilst watching this film is the fact that Tara Reid is playing someone's mom. Yeah, <laughs> so it made me feel so old. Yeah, how old was her kid though? Um, well, her kid was uh, the, <sighs> off the top of my head. I want to say about six or seven, but it might have even okay. been older. That's okay. If the kid was like a teenager, I would be crying right now. <laughs> have not seen Sharknado. But you know what? Because sci-fi does these little million, like million dollars, like it's nothing, million dollar budget movies by the truck full. And I don't know why Sharknado out of all of the other ones they've ever done exploded. It was like super popular. Maybe because it was called Sharknado and people thought there, there's no way this could be real. <laughs> I um, I will admit I fell asleep watching Sharknado. They, you know, they're not necessarily that great. They're they're made to be campy. They're not made to be serious. And and for that, sci-fi has succeeded. But they, like I said, they do make one. Like every month, a new one comes out, a new one of these crazy, stupid movies. That's a sci-fi original movie. And for whatever reason, I don't know if they marketed it different or just it caught people's fancy and Sharknado was everywhere and everybody was watching it. I'm like, I remember watching Sharktopus and you guys making fun of me. Because it was a shark with many legs. (laughs) (laughs) I never caught Sharktopus, I've got to say. Like, Sharknado, it was quite amusing because it is genuinely terrible, but we were having a right laugh watching it. But I don't know, I just like, it got to the point where I was like, okay, the shark's in the house. Yes, the shark is on the boat yes the shark is in the cafe (laughs) the shark is in the air i've got i get it now sharks are everywhere i understand now i'm asleep although i did wake up for a very good part where um a shark was actually in a tornado that was sort of like wafting around and managed somebody fell out of a helicopter and the shark sort of ate him on his way down just kind of brilliant really but yeah it's <laughs> those films are really strange to me because i don't understand like how people end up loving them so much because even despite the fact that they're really terrible even if they had brilliant budgets and like the best writers and the best actors and all that sort of stuff like who sits down in uh, a meeting and goes right i've got this film to pitch it's a uh, dino shark versus i don't know elephant gator <laughs> like yes let's make it what? Where did that come from? I'm sure Dino Shark actually is a film, isn't it? Or it's it? oh. <laughs> ridiculous. But um, I should probably make the effort to try and watch Sharknado again, you know, with my eyes open. I don't think you really have to. <laughs> I really don't. I think you got the point. That is the point. It's ridiculous, and every once in a while something silly happens. You know what a yeah, serious shark action movie is? Deep Blue Sea, which I very much enjoyed, but it's still a campy, stupid shark movie where the shark is eating people. Have you seen Deep Blue Sea? I haven't. I haven't. Um, Samuel L. Jackson's in it, and LL Cool J, and 
It was, it was back when um, Samuel L. Jackson was doing sort of the Michael Caine thing where he wouldn't say no to anything <laughs> because he was afraid he was never going to work again. He's sort of tamped that down now that he's got like a 15 picture deal for for the Marvel movies um, or whatever that crazy deal is that he, he signed. But it was back when he was just like, sure, I'll do whatever your crazy movie is. I don't snakes on a plane. I don't care. <laughs> um and it was they were giving sharks they sh- they had sharks in captivity out in the middle of the ocean and they were giving them injections of an experimental drug because the extremely attractive female like scientist who was doing these experience, uh, experiments her um you know father or somebody had died of alzheimers which is awful it, and we should cure alzheimers it's a terrible disease it's terror. It's like I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And so it was believable because she was trying to cure Alzheimer's using shark brains, which are like regenerative somehow. So like a tiny bit of actual science. And then they accidentally made a super shark that was super smart <laughs> and, and just ate everyone. Like I liked it because Thomas Jane was in it. And that's why I wanted to see it. Because I really oh. loved Thomas Jane at the time. But this was like pre-Punisher Thomas Jane. So as the shark hunter. The only one who is an actual like shark wrangler out of all of them, you know, so he's got to teach them all how to survive. <laughs> a shark wrangler. Yes, I love that. Weird. I like the idea that that would be somebody's job. What do you do? Wrangle sharks? You know, you got, you got to be a shark wrangler. I mean, there's got to be some professional shark handlers. I think he was just a general like knockabout handyman guy who was good with sharks. <laughs> and so they hired him. It was I really am... a ridiculous movie like that, but it had a fairly decent budget. And the writing wasn't so awful that you, it made you want to gag. And then again, Pretty People and Sam Jackson in the cast. So uh, I believe Stellan Skarsgård was in it, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Oh. Yeah, so it was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I remember on the, last, um, on the last episode, I was talking with my friend Matt about um, Resident Evil films and how I really wish they'd like stuck to the video games because they would have made really good films and then uh, after the episode went out one of my other friends uh, just texted me and said hold up a sec are you telling me a giant mutant shark in an underground lab would have been a good part of a resident evil film and i was like um yes <laughs> i like the resident evil films though even though i haven't really played much of the video games i think they're fairly entertaining considering they're based on video games yeah. and i really love mila jo- jovovich so see no that that's where it loses it for me because like her character doesn't exist in the video games like that's an entirely new thing and the whole stuff revolving around her and umbrella just isn't the thing like i would enjoy those films more if they didn't pretend to be resident evil because they are aside from having zombies in they're nothing like the games <laughs> like not even slightly they are just films about mila jovovich playing some bird and um if it yeah so i have to have a pretty girl that's what you have to have that's a requirement even if she's not you know written <laughs> even if they don't write for her <laughs> i just um like i don't know i think if you're going to create an entirely new character then why not just make an entirely new film like why call it resident evil don't understand i don't mind it though and the second one i think the second one's better i haven't got a I, I don't think I got through the third and then I just gave up after that because I was like, why am I doing this to myself? I believe I've only seen the most recent ones, the ones with Allie Larder. They they introduced her because why have one pretty girl when you can have two? See, the thing is, though, I don't, I don't like her either. I don't like her and I don't like Milianovic. Like, I don't think either of them are good actresses at all. (laughs) I remember when we were watching Heroes, me and Rich were just like, ugh, Allie Larder. Yeah, she wasn't very good in Heroes. 
No. Ugh. <laughs> Not that I should throw stones because, hey, I couldn't do any better, but... <laughs> Anyway, just noticing that we've been recording for like an hour and ten minutes, mm-hmm. and that's quite a long time. <laughs> so, okay. are you happy to carry on, or do you want to? I'm fine. I mean, I don't know what else. I mean, <laughs> do you want to talk about upcoming stuff and like gossip, or? Oh, if you've got. Gossip- are you looking forward to Thor: Dark World? <laughs> no, I think really? the aliens look like Teletubbies, but that's just me. Do you know, I saw a trailer for this film the other day, and I'll be honest, I wasn't sold on the idea of Thor before it came out, so I was pleasantly surprised when I saw it, because it wasn't a bad film. But it just seems like a lot of the Marvel films are becoming the Loki show. <laughs> like, yeah. why, why did we need Loki in the second Thor film? Like, we've dealt with him twice now. <laughs> um, he's no longer a thing that we should be focusing on, and it just seems a bit strange. Of a uh, I really think they realised that he was the success. <laughs> like, he was the thing people had stopped in. They were like, how do we just market him? And even he said, like, there's no way I can be in the second Avengers movie because I can't be in all the movies. I'm like, but they somehow shoehorned you in the second Thor movie. Yeah, I was, um, like, it just seems to me, because I do, I've got to admit, I do like Chris Hemsworth. I do think he's good. But most of his goodness lies in how goddamn pretty he is. Um, and I think Tom Hiddleston just outacted the shit out of him in Thor, like, just completely. So, yeah, I'm concerned that this is just going to be, it's going to be Loki, the film. <laughs> uh, but I will, obviously I'll go and see it because, you know, I'm a massive nerd. But, yeah, I'm not, like, super psyched for it like I was for um, Avengers and stuff. But, don't know. I'm, like, I'm more excited for Captain America Winter Soldier, which is weird because I really didn't like the first Captain America film. <laughs> I I kind of liked it, but I felt it was very much... Uh, created to be a prequel for Avengers more than... Yeah, it was like a big trailer for the Avengers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody was pretty in that movie too and I liked it, but still it seemed like a lot of it was montage stuff. You know who I thought was really spectacular, but I think he's really spectacular and everything was um... <laughs> <laughs> that guy! <laughs> Hugo Weaving. Um, uh, his name just flew out of my head. Uh... Hugo Weaving is always great in everything. And, and you know what? Kind of I want to admit it that I think Elrond is my favorite character in the Lord of the Rings movies because of Hugo Weaving. <laughs> so, you know, he was really spectacular and creepier as Hugo Weaving Red Skull than as Red Skull Red Skull in Captain America. Yeah, like, so, uh, he became, like, a bit of a pantomime villain when he was, the like, actual Red Skull Red Skull, which I right. think really odd, like, a really deep, weird way to go about it. don't know. Yeah. I, and and uh, so, aside from that, like... I don't know. I did just feel like it was just a bunch of stuff slapped together to, to prepare you for all the movies that were supposed to come. Like, right, here's the the main guy of the Avengers. We have to tell this story. Uh, we're going to fast forward a bunch. Like, you know, it was really hard for them to try and conquer Red Skull. Um, but they did it in a montage, basically. <laughs> like, all this time leading up to the movie. And then you get to the main villain battle. And they sort of just skip forward. And then are like, okay, now after the battle, everything's on fire and they're and he's trying to get away. And you're like, what? How? Wait. <laughs> There's this entire montage in the middle where they defeated all his other fortresses. And you're like, nah, I, it's not supposed to be really be like a video game. I'm not supposed to watch each stage of the defeat. But like to just slap it all together like that in 30 seconds was kind of jarring. So mm. that was my major complaint with the Captain America movies. And then I, I still haven't seen Iron Man 3. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But I liked Iron Man 2 than a lot of people 
more than a lot of people did. I think because I really love Sam Rockwell and me and too. Oh, I adore Sam Rockwell. He's dancing. <laughs> yeah, as long as he dances in the movie, it's okay. It's fine. I am um, actually. I I didn't mind Iron Man three as much as like a lot of people. I don't know why people rag on it. Like it's te- it's not terrible. It's definitely not as good as the first one, but. A lot of sequels aren't, so I don't, you know. But I, I think three is actually probably the best one. But that might just be me and my love for um, Shane Black directing stuff. So <laughs> the sorry, I'm very tired. Um, the uh, the second Hunger Games. Did you did you read any of the Hunger Games? I haven't read them, but I have seen the first film, and I like. I almost died watching it. I was so invested. I absolutely. Oh, so you actually liked the first movie? Loved it, loved it, loved it. But I don't know whether that's because I haven't read the books, because like, I think a lot of things, like like last episode, I was talking about World War Z and about how if you divorce it, if you divorce the film from the source material, it's a fine film. But like, if you don't divorce it from the source material, then you will have a really bad time watching this film because the book is so goddamn good. <laughs> you know, that's one of those things, like you were saying earlier, that Resident Evil should just name it. They should name it something else because it, yeah. it would be an okay movie if it weren't called Resident Evil. And I've heard the same thing about World War Z that you know if they it was nothing like the book because they changed it so much, and if they just changed the title, then everyone could have lived with it. Yep, yep, I'd have been fine with that. Uh, Hunger Games for me, because I saw it with uh, Laura from Geekdress who had not read the books and she had trouble following it. And I had trouble following it knowing what was happening. Like the whole time I was watching it thinking this is unnecessarily confusing. And if I were someone who hadn't read the book, I would be pissed right now. And I feel like the Harry Potter books in a way were like that, too. A lot of times people had questions about the Harry Potter movies who hadn't read the books. And it's like, well, if you read the books, you'd know there's like 700 pages about wand lore or whatever. And, you know, (laughs) tedious stuff that wasn't necessarily boring to read. But, you know, as we learned from the first two movies, we cannot translate literally everything that was in the book or everyone wants to die. That's over the age (laughs) of 10. So, you know, there was some stuff they got, they, they got towards the third and fourth films where they were like just cutting stuff out and they're like, we're going to make films and not book translations. And where you know, Jake Rowling had to be like, Hey, uh, you can't cut out this part because <laughs> it's integral to the ending of the whole series. And they were like, Oh, I guess we should start paying attention. And so I just felt like Hunger Games, especially with the editing, like they were trying to be fancy with some of the fight scenes. And I was like, some of these characters look alike. And I only know who they are because they go into detail in the book about who they are. And they never mention their name at all in the movie. And I'm like, if I were just some, you know, someone who who had no idea what's going on in the first place, I would be so confused by this like death scene right now. Like who is it that's dying and why should I care? (laughs) No, I I do agree on that sense, but I didn't know whether that was just because I'm really bad at names and faces. They, like I, they I don't just, mention names. They don't. I was really amazed. Um, the the one girl at the end who has the berries. Yeah. Who eats the berries and gives them the idea. Except for if you've read the book, her name is Foxface in the book. And she sort of has a crush on Katniss. It's never really explicitly. But if you read the book, it's subtext that she she's observant and extraordinarily smart. And she's kind of the one throughout the whole first book during the Hunger Games who kind of helps Katniss along without directly helping her because she realizes that Katniss can see her because otherwise she could just hide. She's the, like the smartest of all of the, the pledges and she could just hide in the forest somewhere and and wait till the end and then and then strike. But 
she's sort of helping Katniss along and she knows she should know that those berries were poisonous and sort of the belief is she ate the berries because she she knew her partner was already dead and and they since they changed the rules of the game that you know she couldn't win because her partner couldn't win as well and she wanted Katniss and Peeta to win so she ate the berries to show them you know first of all because she had to die and to show them uh, here's your way out so, I mean, really important character in the book. <laughs> you don't ever learn her name in the, in the movie. That's pretty harsh. Yeah, and like the, just the uh, the gesture thing. Um, I know a lot of people who didn't read the book and they didn't understand the significance of that no, during no idea. the death scenes. And that's sort of like the, um, that's like a salute that you give at funerals. And it's kind of it's kind of like not an upper class thing. It's kind of like a lower class thing, and specific to that district that the the little girl you know that she she helped uh, was from. So when she made this whole symbol, like she knew that girl's district was watching because they are in fact, and this is not mentioned, I don't think, forced to watch. It's compulsory. You have to watch the Hunger Games. Oh, this mm. sounds horrible. By the way, though. right? No, it oh, is. It's terrible. Yeah. Like you're, they're sending children from the like neediest, hungriest, obviously districts who aren't going to win anyways because they've been uh, systematically starved their whole lives. And when they lose, the entire town is denied food uh, because their pledge lost. So and then they're they're forced to watch it in large groups like they have like big viewing parties where you're supposed to watch this, you know, 10 year old from your hometown die. like be assassinated by other kids and executed rather. And um, so, yeah, so she knew this girl's whole district was watching and, and she, Katniss is not actively trying to be a revolutionary. I think she just is kind of a teenager who was pissed off and fed up. And towards the, the third book was not so great, but it did make the point that, She's not the one leading the revolution, but they're going to use her as a figurehead for the revolution because everybody saw her in the Hunger Games and everybody can get behind, you know, the the shit she did that was that was to show up the district and to show up, you know, the forces that be. And even though she's not really doing anything, leading any of the armies or whatever for the revolution, she becomes like sort of their poster girl. And she realizes this and it pisses her off, but she realizes there's nothing else. She keeps accidentally doing things that endear people to her. So like the salute thing was her first thing that she did where she knew people are going to see this and I'm pissed off that I'm here and that this girl was here and that we have to do this and it's a bunch of bullshit. So I'm going to sort of get people motivated to just fight back and so people lose that when they don't realize that's what she's doing. It's very specific. And that's what she's doing because she's trying to say, like, just because I have to kill all these other kids, I don't want to. And most of us don't want to. But, you know, the rich kids are all for it because they're gung ho about it because to them it's just a TV show. But to us, it's super real that we're starving. <laughs> wow. It's um, oh, yeah. Th- so I'm looking forward to the second movie only in the hopes that they've fixed the cinematography and the editing and... And you can understand what's going on just visually. <laughs> yeah. Because that was confusing. Sorry, I, that was a long rant about Hunger Games, but I was really disappointed by the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I um, it was a, It was a weird one for me watching it because I don't normally get, like, 
I, I do get invested in films, um, but like it's very rare that I'll like be watching a film and genuinely be feeling something for the characters. But like I was watching that like consistently on the edge of my seat, and when that little girl died, I was like mega upset, and I was like, oh my god. Got to the end of the film, and I was like, oh, palpitations, fucking hell. I just thought it was really like, I don't know. I think it's because they're kids. Yeah. It's just so hard to watch, but not in a like. Because I know a lot of parallels are made to the the idea behind Battle Royale, um, mm. and everything. But like that to me is an entirely different thing. Even though it's much gorier and actually probably like a much like it's just horrible. That that film is just hor- like it's brilliant, but it's horrible. But because it's so like overly violent and sort of overly gory and like really stylized in the way that it's filmed and everything like that, you don't care about any of those kids, and you it doesn't. It doesn't affect you when they get, like, their heads chopped off by one of their schoolmates. But in The Hunger Games, like, I felt like, even though I didn't know most of the characters from Adam, like, aside from Katniss and that chappy whose name I've already forgotten, like, you just genuinely felt for them because you just think, can you imagine if you were a kid and you were in that situation? I would have just, like, fell on my knife or something. I (laughs) I just don't think I could have survived in that because I would have panicked and uh like there's no way i could kill someone like just no way at all so i just like genuinely felt for the kids like the entire way through which is like really unusual for me when watching a film so i am really excited for the set how many books are there is this a trilogy there was or a... three and the third book was crap uh... <laughs> the second book though was the best book it was amazing so um so, so yeah, hopefully the second movie is kind of amazing. The the thing of the difference between I haven't actually read Battle Royale, but uh, from what I'm under to understand, it's more of like uh, the, the the Hunger Games is more of an indictment of the media and and this and pop culture, like this whole entertainment culture we have, where we're fascinated by celebrity. And we make people celebrities that are just not, they're not like, they're not accomplished actors or anything They're And that was strange enough, like to make actors idols, but you, you know what I mean? Like the, the era of the Kardashians yeah. where they have contributed literally nothing to society and we all know who they are and what they're doing and who they're having sex with. And, and it's sort of that because, uh, because the richer districts, um, like I said, they find it to be high entertainment and, you know, the kids grow, that grow up in those districts are trained to be in the Hunger Games. Like, hopefully I might be in the hum- Hunger Games someday. And when you think about a show like Survivor, where, you know, no one really dies, but it is really a terrible experience. Mm-hmm. Like, I've met people who are on Survivor and you just get eaten alive by bugs because you're in the middle of the jungle. And, like, if you smoke, you're not allowed to, you know, you have to quit smoking and, and, and you really can't be someone who's got a whole lot of medications to take because they don't really let you to even even for like the amazing race this this is true um there's just a lot of stuff you have to go through to be on the show in the first place and it seems like you know is it really worth it for a million dollars plus you're on tv and plus you can't control your how your image and how they make you look you know to to an audience in order to make this show entertaining and it's the same as is true of the hunger games they it's completely orchestrated it completely takes place not in a real setting but like in a warehouse where they've built a set and they can control the set and they control the outcome of the game and they pick who they think the favorite is and you know who the lovable character is and they through machinations you know uh make sure that the right people 
get towards the finals, so to speak, so that it's good ratings. It's entirely an indictment of the media that way. And I think that gets lost a lot in the movies just by virtue of the fact that they've made a movie <laughs> and are marketing it um, and are making it all about the love story between the, the two lead characters, which is what they do in the book in order to survive. Like the way they survive the first Hunger Games together is they make it all about their romance because they figure, you know, that's so to speak, good ratings. So that they're actually doing that in the marketing for the movie is kind of <laughs> ironic, I guess. Dope. But there's, yeah, there's all this, you know, there's obviously the point of writing a dystopian novel like that. You know what? I haven't really read Ender's Game either, and that's coming out. And, and everyone's saying, who's read it, is saying that in the advertisements for it, they're giving away the ending. Oh, I mean, I wasn't going to see it anyways, because I'm not going to give Orson Scott card my money, but I guess it's yeah. really giving new line or whoever my money, not, not him. He's already got his money. He's taking his money and run towards the craziest hill. But, um, <laughs> but like, I'm just not interested in it anyway. And, and, and people are disappointed who have actually like the target audience who have read the book are like, yeah, they just gave away the ending in the trailer or in the poster or something. And I was like, oh, that's interesting (laughs) interesting attempt at marketing i am i saw a trailer for that the other day and it looks awful like so bad i I don't know what even word is doing now no i think he's lost all ability to act because this trailer like if you like go and seek it out if you watch it it genuinely is like it's like somebody's first attempt at acting it's bad it's really bad well, there was that movie a couple a couple years ago, which looked like it should be a TV movie, like an afternoon special kind of movie. And the only reason it was being released as a real film was because Harrison Ford, for whatever reason, decided that was because he, for the longest time, has only done one movie a year. And that was his movie for the year. Mm-hmm. And, and like and that was the turning point. It was like it was like it was after the fourth Indiana Jones movie, which I still haven't seen. Yeah, and it was like he was realizing, I'm really making crappy movies. So then he started doing stuff like Cowboys and Aliens, which also wasn't... I like the first third of Cowboys and Aliens, to tell you I've not seen that. I've not seen that. But I have a bit of a problem with, um, what's his chops? Pouty McPout. What's his name? Oh, Daniel Craig? Yes. Yeah, I have. I can't deal with him. Yeah, I didn't think he would be... Laura specifically is like, I don't know if he'd be a good cowboy. And I was like, I don't... He's wearing chaps. I don't really care if he's talking. (laughs) I can sort of sort of buy him as Bond but I don't know if I can I don't know if it's because I've only really seen him as Bond that that's all he's um, head or I think technically the first thing I ever saw him in was the uh, was an Ang Lee who did Elizabeth but then Layer Cake and then Bond and I remember um, going to see the James Bond the first one Casino Royale with my mother and about three quarters of the way through the movie, she was like, wait, is the blonde guy James Bond? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he is. And she's like, I did not know that. That would have helped me with the beginning of this movie. (laughs) Oh, I thought you knew that. That was a big deal. That they were going Bond with Bond. Oh, you know, I take it back. He was also in The Golden Compass, which, speaking of book adaptations, was a really fucked up book adaptation. Oh, I tell you what, like, those books were some of my... Amazing! I I love them. I read those books about six times each. I remember the first time I went into hospital, I read the first book uh, overnight because I couldn't sleep in the hospital, and it's, like, the greatest book in the world. I absolutely... I mean, I think the third one peters off a bit because it gets a bit atheist preachy. 
Oh, but um, the whole love story part of it, it destroyed me because it was a love story without being a love story. It was a soulmate story. Yeah. Oh. Just the whole ending just, oh, I was just like, oh, my God. It's and so imagine good. those as movies, like following the young child actors as they got old enough to do the third movie. And and yet we got that really bizarre <laughs> adaptation with Daniel Craig. Don't you think Sam Elliott was brilliant in it, though, as um, What's His Chops? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, the casting was brilliant. I thought i also thought um nicole kidman was great yeah she was yeah but oh. and of course ian mckellen is a giant talking bear well who wouldn't want that in their lives <laughs> by the way it was shekhar kapoor who did elizabeth and i believe he did the sequel which was not as good but elizabeth is also another movie that was just like i went into it with no expectations and it was fantastic i think sometimes it helps just to not have any expectations of a film it's like that old saying, isn't it, that it's better to be a pessimist because you're either always proven right or pleasantly surprised. Mm. <laughs> it's like, mm, just go in there with no sort of expectations. But, um, oh, I don't know. What well, I can't even think of what's coming out soon that I'm... Um, the, the new uh, the new Hunger Games and Thor, uh, all sequel, like the new Hobbit movie. Ugh. <laughs> Sorry, that was really dismissive. I can't, I really can't stand the. Well, no, it's not that I can't stand them. I just find the Lord of the Rings films so long and boring for the most part. There's like really good scenes just sort of nuzzled into really boring bits that I, I can't even think about watching The Hobbit because at least the Lord of the Rings trilogy was a trilogy of books. You are splitting up a book that is smaller than all of those three books <laughs> into three films. How? Three, three hour long films as well. It's not like these films are like an hour and a half or something. No, they're all three. You're making a nine hour film out of a very small book. Ugh, no, thanks. <laughs> they're also, and I, again, I think this is, they're doing this just so that you can shotgun marathon all six, um, doing all of the stuff in between the two books, or two, you know, between The Hobbit and the first, all the stuff that was in all the, I guess, extra books. <laughs> that Tolkien did like about <laughs> Hobbit lore they're sort of taking and, and putting all that so you can have all the other characters that you love like Kate Blanchett and and Ian McKellen and all of those other actors will have something to do during the Hobbit because they weren't in the Hobbit so from my understanding and from like their involvement in the first movie when they really weren't in the first were in the book much is because they actually are incorporating more than one book into the three movies, which is fine because they want to bridge that gap so you can sit there and watch 27 hours worth of... My husband will blatantly do that, you know. He loves... They, you know what, and I think they have a rewatchability factor because you can, like, watch them in sections. You can watch, like, 25 minutes of, of a Lord of the Rings movie and, like, stop it and go to work or whatever and come home and watch, like, another 40 minutes before bed. And it, it kind of, you can break them up into pieces and you don't have to watch. That's why I would never really marathon them all. Because I was going to say, would you want to watch them all in a row, like, one right. after Yeah, to me, that's, like, the because if you don't really want to watch anything else... You don't really have to watch the entire movie because the movie's so long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I lose so many nerd points, though, because, like, I, uh, on my list of things to do before I was 30, like, everybody kept saying to me, you've got to read the Lord of the Rings books. They're the greatest books in the world. Got to read them. So I put that on my list. I thought, right, I'm going to do it. It took me. Now, I'm a pretty fast reader. I can, like, bust a book in, like, 
a day if I've got enough time. Um, but I, <laughs> I, it took me something like two and a half years to read these three books because, goddamn, they are boring. Yeah, they're not. So boring. Like, there's the bones of a good story in there, like a really good story. And a lot of his story, Tolkien's storytelling is really good. But for the most part, it's like, oh, and here's a song. And here's a yeah. song, and here's a description of a hill in five, you know, five pages of talking about this one tree. <laughs> an, an exceptional world builder, and he was in need of an editor, and I don't really know if he had much of one, because it's like, at some point, somebody would have been like, are you really re- like writing these? And that was another thing, is that they said, with the Hobbit movies, there will be all the songs, and I was like, what a terrible decision. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> the worst part of the other movies for me was when we had to break out into song. And that's, of course, what I skipped over. And I asked someone, I'm like, if I skip over all of Tom Bombadil's songs, am I really losing anything like in terms of plot? And people were like, no. no not even a little bit. <laughs> if you read them, no. And so I'm like, so I just, start, just started skipping whole sections where there were songs. I'm like, I appreciate that you wanted to write a song. Um, I don't want to read it. Like the probably the worst thing ever to have to read is a song because it's you don't know how it goes. a different way. Yeah, you don't know how it goes. It's that I find it absolutely mind-boggling when people put songs into prose because I don't know how this is supposed to sound at all, and it's really strange. But like I said to Rich before, I said I must. You know, I do like Lord of the Rings in the sense that you know we went to see the um the stage show in London, and it was absolutely amazing. But that's because they fit you know three books into a about two hours with a break in the middle. So it's like that's that's the kind of amount of time I wanted to invest in this. You know, the the bones of the story, the the really important bits, the really exciting bits. Um, that was really good. And the way they did, like, the Balrog and Shelob and stuff on stage was kind of amazing. But, like, when I watch the films, I just think there's so much just walking that I, that I could easily fast forward. I'm like, do you know what? I'll watch the Battle of Helm's Deep and I'll watch the bit where you throw the ring in the fire and I think I'm done. <laughs> so, okay. The, there, I don't know when it's coming out in the UK. Let me look it up. Around the same time as the U.S. In the U.S., it's coming out around Christmas time. In the U.K., it's coming out around American Thanksgiving. Um, it's called Saving Mr. Banks, and I have been looking forward to it for years. It is the true story behind the making of the movie Mary Poppins, because Mary Poppins is based on a, on a book, where Emma Thompson is playing the original novelist of Mary Poppins. And I still... I, I, once I found this out that it was based on a book, I didn't read it. But apparently, and I read the story behind it, um, P.L. Travers, who wrote the Mary Poppins book, it was like an indictment of the banking industry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they completely Disney-fied it and made it, you know, a musical. Uh, obviously, I love Mary Poppins. If you don't love Mary Poppins, the, the movie, I don't know what's wrong with you. But um, but so this is like the, um, you know, Tom Hanks plays Walt Disney and just like an amazing cast. And and obviously, you know, anything that's like about Mary Poppins is going to be amazing because there's going to be somebody who's playing a young Julie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hadn't so, even thought um, of that. So that comes out um, um, Christmas time. Just, you know, just like Colin Farrell's in it and Paul Giamatti's in it. And and, uh, you know, ever since I'd heard about it, like I saw photos of Tom Hanks as Walt Disney and said, what, what, what? What is this about? <laughs> And then looked it up and I'm like, all right, because it was based on a book and they completely butchered it. And yeah, so it's basically the agony that that P.L. Travers goes through watching her book being massacred 
by the Disney Corporation <laughs> for this musical. So, so yeah, that's probably the one movie that I've been looking forward to the most um, this year. Also, you know what? There is this crazy TV show, and I keep forgetting when it's supposed to come out, but it starts in November now. I've, I've written it down um, that Laura and I are looking forward to where um, it's like a buddy cop TV show, but one of the cops is a robot, and one of the cops is Carl Urban. <laughs> I cannot Where believe this. <laughs> it's called Almost Human. I cannot believe he agreed to do a TV show with oh such my God. a crazy concept that obviously, <laughs> even if it's terrible, will be great. So that's going to be going to get Clearly. canceled so fast. Oh my God! I did not know anything about this. Mm-hmm. So this I'm so my- looking forward to that as a TV show too. But again, it hasn't started yet, so I haven't been able to watch it yet. But Mackenzie Crook's in it. So that's interesting. It's like a really diverse cast as far as like non-Americans, because pretty much the only American in it that I can see is um, Lily Taylor, who who chooses really strange projects. I mean, not strange isn't bad, just interesting projects. So maybe this will be great. But I mean, any anytime you get a, a buddy cop movie where one of them's a robot, I'm in. Anytime you get anything with a robot, I'm in. Yeah, I'm I'm up for that. I'm completely up for that. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. so yeah i i am missing a robot show now that like all of my robot show- shows were canceled quite a long time ago some um, sarah connor chronicles and well battlestar galactica wasn't canceled but you know they all ended around the same time so i didn't really have a robot show you need to get robot back into your life right it's what's been missing and i can't even begin to tell you how excited i am about carl i wasn't really on board the carl urban train i know a lot of girls thought he was dreamy from the like lord of the rings movies but I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. But really, this interesting is the Star Trek movies, like his promotion of the Star Trek movies, not necessarily him in them, but just the fact that he's so obviously a fanboy. And I enjoy that sort of geekiness, just it, when you get to be a part of the thing that you were a fan of. Mm-hmm. So I'm on, I'm on board the Carl Urban train now. I, he's such a weird one for me, because when he was announced for Dread, I had no idea who he was because I've just got like, it's like I've just blocked him from my mind. Like I've obviously seen a lot of films with him in, but just mm-hmm. never realized that that's Carl Irvin, if that makes any sort of sense. So it was only when I went back and I was like, who's this casting an unknown as Dread? That's a bit weird. Oh, wait, he's not even slightly yeah. unknown. It's <laughs> like, oh, he seems kind of amazing, actually. I, you know what? I haven't seen Red 2 because I heard he wasn't in it. <laughs> I still haven't seen Red 1, but I kind of want to. Oh, it's so good. Like, I knew it was based on a, a what's-his-name comic. His name just slipped out of my head. Oh, balls. Uh, Crazy Beans, whom I love. <laughs> um, but nothing like the comic, apparently. Just very loosely based on the comic, because the comic was oh. apparently a one-shot deal. And Red, obviously, a full movie. But, you know, obviously a really great cast. Again, a cast can really carry a terrible movie. So it might not have been such a great movie if it weren't for all of the amazing people that were in it, including, of course, Carl Urban, um, as like the young punk CIA agent that's hunting down Bruce Willis. And yeah, so I was like, is, is he in Red 2? And they were like, he has like a cameo. I'm like, doesn't count. No, <laughs> <laughs> not enough. <laughs> not enough. But, um, but also, um, uh, what was the other thing he was in? Pathfinder? That was that the movie that sort of, sort of started out our podcast because Laura and Rainia could not stop talking about how awful Pathfinder was, <laughs> where he plays like a Native American fighting against Vikings. The lead Viking um, is 
you know, the guy from Clancy Brown. So uh, I was, I was, I watched that thinking it was going to be awful and really enjoyed it. <laughs> so that that helped my turnaround of of Carl Carl Urban. But you know what? I didn't really like Dread. I know Is loved it. Yeah, she, she did. Talked it up. <laughs> I thought it was overly stylized, and I guess that's what people liked about it. I was going to say, I definitely liked it, but I don't know whether I would have enjoyed it more if I'd have seen it at the cinema because this was another one that um, we missed because it was only showing local to us in 3D and I can't really watch 3D films because putting the glasses on over my own glasses really hurts my face and it gives me headaches and I just don't really like it. So we thought, oh, we'll just hold out for a 2D showing and then there never was one. So we didn't bother, um, and we watched it like yonks later when it was out on DVD. And I did enjoy it, but I just think you lose a lot of the stylized stuff, particularly like, you know, the bits where they're on the drugs. You would lose yes. a lot of that not watching it in 3D. Yeah, and you watch it and you're like, I don't need a five-minute camera shot of water <laughs> drip, dripping because she's super high. Like, I, I get it. They're super high. It's an amazing new drug, and they're all super balls out high okay i get it but like every time we we wanted to show somebody was high it was this really long sequence of slow motion like special effects i'm like i i got it the first time i got it so now now you told me it was in 3d if it was made for 3d that makes sense they're trying to (laughs) blow your fucking mind watch this movie look at this water droplet holy shit (laughs) the whole time i was like i am not are you high making this movie i am not that enamored of her in the bathtub it's not that trippy for me (laughs) and i get it they're high like other other films have done the super high you know sequence train spotting comes to mind much more entertainingly and so i just like I i don't know if this whole movie is just about how they're all super high on drugs and they think it's great and then you co- you cover Carl Urban's face the whole time and he basically has to yeah. do that gruff like grumpy voice when obviously the entertaining part about Bones is that he's endearingly grumpy like even when um the original actor whose name also has just flown out oh, of my head oh I've got no idea did <laughs> um, Bones you know grump- grumpy and endearing uh, obviously he was doing an homage to the original Bones yeah, you cover his face and then you lose you lose it for me. Like he's in a helmet. And that's I think why Laura hasn't seen it because she the whole time she was like, I don't Lena Headey has this really weird scar and and he's got a helmet on the whole time and why are you covering up the uh, the pretty people? Like <laughs> the movies to watch pretty people do things. So. See, the thing is though, the 2000 AD purist would have gone apeshit crazy bonkers if he hadn't had his helmet on. His helmet on, yeah. No. Because I think that was like, I mean, aside from the fact that it was crap, that was one of the many complaints about the Stallone film was the fact that he did not, he was not behelmeted for all of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I've seen it, I've, ne- I've never actually, because I've never really been a big 2000 AD fan. Like, that's quite a massive point of contention with me. <laughs> She's like, why don't you get it? And I'm like, because it's it's dull and it's I don't like it. I've tried, I've tried really hard, but I just cannot get into 2000 AD. It's just grim. It's just so grim. Like everything already is just like, ugh. I just never want to kill myself. So, um, what a thing here? Is that just like a UK thing? What 2000 AD? Yeah, I'd only heard it from you guys. I think, I think, I don't know if you can get it in America. I'm sure you can, but I think it's definitely a British thing. It's like all. It's pretty much the uh, the only like fully British like produced comic that's not 
you know, from one of the big two publishers kind of thing. It's like, it's just, they do, I think they're called progs. I think, see, this is how terribly out of touch I am. That are like sort of anthologies. So every week you get a piece of a dread story and a piece uh, of something else and a piece of a something else. And I don't like anthologies to begin with. Like I've never got on with anthologies because like my attention span is like, it's long enough to want more than a very small chunk of a story, but not so long that I can like read a, like it. <laughs> that's my problem with badly written comics is are you, or even you know what it's not even necessarily badly written comics because there are some comics like secret six i had trouble following towards the end oh um, no me too because you only get one a month and it's to me the mark of a really great comic when you can pick up the next issue and not necessarily remember every single detail about the previous issue, but can get right away into the story and, and go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like for so many issues of Secret Six, I was just like, did I miss one? Why are they suddenly fighting dinosaurs? Like what happened? Why are they in the Old West? Like I just couldn't. <laughs> no, I had the same with that. And I think. DC has been doing it a lot lately where um, I I think I might have fallen out with DC a little bit, which is a shame, but I tend to find every month I'm, I'm having to like really read the, you know, previously in this comic page because otherwise I wouldn't have a fucking clue what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like I've, um, I've just, everything just seems to be needlessly complicated instead of telling fun stories, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I read comics for fun stories. I don't read them for like, you know, I'm not saying there shouldn't be overly complicated, twisty, turny, you know, comics because I want comics to cater for everybody and I want more people to be into them. But when, like, practically everything DC does now is is trying really hard to be, like, super serious and super clever and super twisty. And half the time I haven't got a bloody clue what's happening. Somebody mm-hmm. asked me the other day to recommend them a DC comic and everything I came out with was Vertigo because I, <laughs> I couldn't remember what was happening in the main stuff. That's entirely, yeah. I mean, I don't read comics anymore because I can't afford it. It was a luxury. I had to, I cut out almost every single luxury. For a while, considered getting rid of my cell phone before people were like, no, you can't do that. You have to have a cell phone. <laughs> How would you exist? Um, well, we don't have a landline. So, like, literally the only way they would be able to get a hold of me is through email. So people are like, no, you can't do that. Just people at work were like, you can't do that because we, we need to call you. I'm like, well, then give me a work phone. But also the the 52 reboot just sort of annoyed me. It just was like one reboot too many for me. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily the changes they were making. It was just the whole universe reboot. And, and I knew they needed to make changes. Obviously, you can't have Dick Grayson being Batman forever. That just can't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It seemed so. So they so they needed to make a shift, but I don't understand why they couldn't have just made a shift in the Batman universe. And the thing is, when they rebooted everything, they rebooted everything but Batman, really. And Green so, Lantern. Green Lantern was exactly the same. Exactly yeah, so the same. It just seemed like a really failed attempt at at gaining a new audience to me. Mm-hmm. And every time they do something sexy like Superman's dying or Batwoman's a lesbian, and, and it all seems like marketing to me. It doesn't seem like it's because that's what's driving the story, even if it really is. Even if it really is something that's driving the story, it just feels like it's just hyped um, to try and draw in new people. And at this point, I'm like, they don't understand that the new people they're supposed to be drawing it. They're, they, the, the new audience they haven't reached yet is not women or other 
adult men, they need to be drawing in younger readers, and they just aren't by making all these super serious comics and canceling things like Tiny Titans and stuff. I mean, I realize they stopped Tiny Titans so they could do Superman Adventures, but isn't Superman Adventures canceled now? I think so, yeah. So you really got to get kids young and you have to get them loyal and then they will buy comics for the next 20 years of their lives. <laughs> and they, I don't think they really care. They really don't think it's and, – and you know what? Now that they have this new medium of digital comics, they should be able to make digital-only comic series for kids because kids go crazy for stuff on the iPad. People let their kids play with their iPads. Um, and for, you know, for instance, for, for a friend of mine whose son has autism, the apps they have developed for, for kids with autism on the iPad are like one of the major ways that he works through his condition. So it's not like kids aren't using iPads. It's not like they're not except like, it's not like they can't have access to digital comics quite easily. So you'd think that would be a venue where they were like, they'd be like, let's try and draw in new readers here. But it seems like everything DC does is just like them shooting themselves in the foot. So I just got really <laughs> sick of it. After years and years and years of this, that was my breaking point, was that this this reboot was just something mm-hmm. that didn't seem legit. So I, I miss my Vertigo books. I miss American Vampire. But uh, I just, I don't know. American Vampire is another one that's going to end soon, too, isn't it? Because he's yeah. he's got his end game planned. But I stopped reading Fables a while ago. and Well, Fables is now crossing over with the unwritten. So. Yeah. I stopped reading the unwritten oh. because I was they went to like a bi-weekly format for the unwritten and I wasn't getting the second week. I was still only getting like once a month or whatever. So I'm like I'm missing issues. Yeah, you are missing quite I'm literally missing <laughs> issues and my what comic eat? book I was like, "What?" And cuz I was the only person in the entire store who was picking up the unwritten. So I was like, I really have to go back to reading this and trade. I'm sorry. I know it was more money for you that I was buying this in single issues, but it doesn't make any damn sense and then I realized because they're releasing twice as many books for some reason, and I'm not getting them all, so... Yeah. I th- Fables and The Unwritten, both, like, I, d- I do still enjoy them, and I do still read both, but they, to me, they both suffered from having such a good opening story that once that got resolved, it's kind of like, uh, uh, twiddling their thumbs. Yeah. Because they don't really... I mean, like, the whole thing with the adversary in um, Fables, that was, like, a massive deal, and as soon as that was done, it was like, oh... Pfft. Uh, what do we do now? Um, yeah. Hey, so there's this Mr. Dark guy. And then, like, The Unwritten was the same. It was like, oh, uh, 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 what do we do now that that thing's all done? And it's, in fact, The Walking Dead's doing it at the moment as well because it's like, you know, you've had the, the show gov- or the book? The book. Um, You've had, like, the governor, and he was, like, a total cunt. <laughs> like, just mm-hmm. an absolute just horrible human being see but on the show played by david morris who i find well, this dreamy is, this is the, <laughs> i could not buy him as a dick in that show at all I, I really struggled with the last series of walking dead because i don't think they wrote him in the show to be badass enough to warrant the response that you know like you know with michonne going after him instead michonne i never know how to pronounce her name yeah that's michonne yeah like, the way she reacted to him and the way Rick reacted to him and stuff just didn't really make any sense because he just seemed like a guy who was really protective of his people. And, okay, so he did have a few tanks with some heads in, but he didn't actually really do anything to anybody. <laughs> it's like, um, okay, a bit weird. But the book's doing this thing now where it's trying to introduce this new bad guy who's, like, 
trying to be worse than the governor, but pretty much can't be because the governor was a total douche. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like that's kind of treading water for me as well because it's like, well, I can't. For a start, I can't buy that there's a guy worse than the governor. And secondly, I don't buy that Rick's group of the, you know, like they're just going to keep coming across people who are like the governor or worse. Like that can't yeah, isn't happening. it bad enough that it's a zombie apocalypse? Like, shouldn't that <laughs> at some point be your focus? That or I mean, you can't. I can understand having originally this this other antagonist because I would get sick of a zombie movie that went on. A thousand years, but <laughs> I know I have um, because there was this crazy, amazing sale, that really super thick compendium of Walking Dead comics. That's like the first six or seven trades all in one like five inch book. And it was on sale for like twenty dollars, which is redonkulous. There's no way you can buy the trades for that cheap. And um, so it was a crazy sale and like, you know, I only like it was one of those things where I only had $20 to spend like crazy money. And I was like, ah, there's no reason to not buy this. It's such it's such an insanely good deal. And everyone says the comic is really good. So eventually I'm going to read it. So now it just sort of sits <laughs> in the corner <laughs> like a doorstop, like a really heavy paperweight because it's just huge. Like I, I don't see like sitting down with a cup of like, you know, hot cocoa reading this <laughs> in the middle because it weighs like a thousand pounds <laughs> so in a way it was kind of a mistake because of that but uh but i do like that i have it all there and can reference it if i want to can read it yeah but obviously now there's i don't know 12 trades or way more they're way beyond the first six trades so it's kind of like hellboy when you first try, start trying to read hellboy and you read like the first four trades and then you realize there's like literally another 20 years worth of hellboy after that <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure there's like, the problem with Hellboy as well is that you can't, a lot of people say you can read it standing alone from BPRD and Lobster Johnson and, you know, Witchfinder and all that stuff. But I don't think you can. I think you get a much, well, I suppose you can, but it it doesn't make, it just makes it so much better when you've got all the other stuff. But then you're looking at sort of like a billion Hellboy trades and half that many BPRD and then a few Lobster Johnson. And you just get into the point where you're like, I have no shelves for this <laughs> or money. And it gets a little bit crazy. Yeah, I just pared it down to Lobster Johnson, Johnson and any Abe Sapien one shots and the occasional BPRD run because I just couldn't. It's just it was just a lot. Like, God bless them for, for the effort they threw behind expanding the universe. But I've got my, my guys, and my guys are Abe Sapien and Lobster Johnson. So yeah, I really don't care I that much about Hellboy anymore. And I guess it doesn't really matter because at some point he died. Obviously, that's not real. <laughs> <laughs> but I stopped reading before I figured they, you know, they figured out where Hellboy really was. So, yeah. So, I, you know, you find your corner and I just kind of stayed in it and was like, I'm just going to buy the, the million books that are associated with this one character. I like. Because <laughs> you guys are producing the content for me, so I might as well consume it. I went through a phase where I was adamant that I was going to collect every book that Deadpool was in. <laughs> then I had to stop because that shit got insane. And he's just like literally everywhere. Patricio from um, from Comic Book Queers is like very close to completing the ultimate Black Canary collection, like everything she's ever been in. Oh, I wow. think he has a very short list of things he needs, and there's some like they're probably crazy issues from like Golden Age that cost you know hundreds of dollars. I have no idea. I've never actually looked at his list, but I know he's very close to having the complete collection, as well as like every statue, every toy. Wow. 
And it's just all in one closet, like in the back of his house. <laughs> he keeps it hidden away because he realizes, like, I'm not going to be able to to pick up prospective boyfriends by having a whole <laughs> bunch of little toys of a woman in fishnets and a corset, like, running around my house. So <laughs> he's aware of how crazy this obsession is. But it's very interesting to me that that's such a specific character, Black Canary. Yeah. I used to I used to really like Black Canary before the reboot, and then she just became so blah, <laughs> like just so blah. Uh, I could go on about the reboot again for ages, but I won't because uh, it's now ten o'clock. So. <laughs> wow, that was good though. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I didn't talk about half the things that I was going to mention, but oh well. Sorry, <laughs> I get off my tangents. That's not your fault. I am. Um, I've just got like no, because when I did that like random online survey about you know what would you improve about the episodes, like a lot of people just came back and said have some structure. <laughs> I was like, I can't do that. I have no ability to like. I just I'm always digressing, and if other people are as bad as I am at staying on topic, then this shit is just it's going nowhere and it's going nowhere fast but i don't care because i enjoyed it anyway i should probably end the show there because we both have to sleep we do <laughs> we do have to sleep i am actually podcasting in bed right now <laughs> see i can't do that anymore either because i fell asleep once oh i've been lying down. down for a good half hour <laughs> mm-hmm. so comfy Anyway, thank you for coming on to the show. Well, thank you for having me on to babble <laughs> about nothing, <laughs> about outdated shows and books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what the show is for. Okay, good. If you want to leave any feedback for anything, you can send me an email at stacysparlor at gmail.com. I am also on the Twitters as StaceBobT. Uh, would you like to plug anything or give any contact details before we shimmy? Um, obviously, if you want to hear the podcast I've been talking about, uh, it's geektress.com. And um, there's a link at the top for podcasts that will take you to the podcast section. But as you may see, when you go to the site, there's also a lot of other content. Facebook.com slash geekdress, Twitter.com slash geekdress, Tumblr.geekdress.com. If you want to see us in other social media forms, people really like our Twitter. I don't understand. And yeah, you should be able to get to all of our other stuff from there. Like... You know, we do comics and and I do art and there's a lot of other whatnot that goes on the interwebs. We all have our own individual Twitter accounts as well as, you know, Geek Dress. So. But people really don't realize we're a podcast. They really like our Twitter. So check out Twitter.com slash Geek Dress if you are on the tweeters. I don't understand that. <laughs> people only like us in small doses, I guess. Either that or you're just hilariously funny. I don't think so, but maybe... I did get into a rant about bears the other day, so. Bears? Paid off. <laughs> oh, dear. I need to get taken it. over. I don't know if you know this or not. <laughs> I, was, I was not aware of the bear epidemic. <laughs> it is an epidemic. Okay, in the last two weeks, in one particular town, not even like spread across the country, but in one particular town, there have been several, like three or four reported cases of bears climbing into unlocked parked cars at night. And then locking themselves in. What? That is insane. And uh, as well as you know, like bear families are moving into neighborhoods. I mean, obviously it's terrible because of de- de- you know deforestation, and and they have nowhere else to go, and so they're just moving into neighborhoods and like hanging out, and people are just letting them because oh. they don't know what else to do about black bears in their neighborhood. But to me, that looks like a very slow moving 
takeover. <laughs> Getting in our cars, they're coming to our homes. Bears. They are legitimately becoming a threat. Imagine getting up in the morning and going out to go to work and, oh, there's a bear in my car. Which is precisely what happened to all these people. They got up in the morning and there was a bear in their car. And they were like, oh, what do we do? So, you know, you call the police naturally and the police can't actually do something. And they so they have to call special, like, humane society people to come out and you know, animal control to deal with bears. But all that ends up happening is they break out the windows in your car to get the bear out. <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously, you got the bear on destruction of property, first of all, because (laughs) bear in your car. I kind of love this now. This is my new favorite thing. I went off on a rant and people were like, how do I prevent bears from getting in my car? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. (laughs) And people were like, obviously, if you have a very small car, the bear won't want to get into it. And then someone else was like, have you never been to the circus? They're really good at driving very small cars. (laughs) So it just spiraled out of control all afternoon. <laughs> People with their bear theories, and I'm like, okay. Oh, see, I wish I wish I was uh, awake when Twitter. You know, all my American pals are awake. <laughs> no, I'm I'm awake during UK Australian hours. I'm technically an Australian night blogger now, according to Tumblr. <laughs> People who post from like 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. Uh, like Eastern Standard Time are actually Australians who are in the middle of the day. And to me, you know, that's when I'm at work. So I'm like, no, I guess I'm an Australian night blogger now. I need to get more Australian friends online so I have people to talk to. But it is interesting being on Twitter and then watching the celebrities in the UK um, wake up and start tweeting. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, it's still like six o'clock my time, but I'm like, oh, it must be early afternoon for you. You've just woken up. Interesting. I like really need to get better at Twitter because I I post the occasional hilariously funny thing, but most of my tweets revolve around either um, complaining about public transport or complaining about work. (laughs) It's pretty much it. Mine are about food. I'm very influential about food. Uh, There's a thing called clout that tells you what your most popular tweets are. And according to clout, I'm influential about Netflix and uh, I believe pancakes. It was one specific food <laughs> item. It changes, obviously, because I talk about it. I'm surprised it's not bacon. And, you know, there's only so much you can say about bacon. Everyone agrees it's wonderful and... And I know somebody who doesn't like bacon. I had to seriously, like, consider our friendship continuing after she told me this. might be a pod person. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're vegan, there's no excuse. No, no, there's no excuse. Right. I'm getting... I'm, I'm sitting up now. Ugh. Okay. I'm sitting up because I'm going to go to bed. What? Thank you again for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I will see you, lovely listeners, next month. Bye. Bye. I'm